A couple of things I want you to know about this place before we get too far into the service. Uh, number one is our mission. The whole reason that we exist as a church is to help people find and follow Jesus. Uh, second thing I want you to know is that we are very imperfect people still in progress. And so if you're still in progress as well, you haven't arrived yet, we like to say this. We like to say welcome home. Uh, our, our hope is that you come to find this place to be your home. And, uh, and if you are uh, just checking this thing out, maybe a first-time guest, maybe coming for a few months, uh, we just want to especially give you a shout-out and would love to connect with you, help answer any questions that you might have, help you along your spiritual journey if we can. Uh, the best way to do that is to text us. Uh, that number is 408 5402 That's 408-944-5402. Uh, and man, we just, we would just love to connect with you. Uh, well, whether you're uh, a first-time guest or maybe you're like, you grew up at Central, uh, maybe you're somewhere in between, but you picked a great week to join us. Uh, you're going to get to hear from uh, my, my good friend, uh, Troy Hartman. I can't say this about very many people in this world, uh, but I've known Troy for, for 20 years, and he still tolerates me. Uh, so, like, he's a dear, dear friend. Uh, there's a whole lot I can say about Troy and about Lacey, uh, about their, their, their candor, about their genuine love for God and sincere love for people. Um, but, man, over the years, Troy's not only been a friend to me, uh, but really a pastor to me uh, in a lot of ways. I remember whenever Drake uh, had, had surgery, it was Troy there with me and my family praying. I remember when we walked in to see, see Drake after surgery, weren't sure he's going to make it. It was Troy uh, who was there with me. And uh, Lacey, his wife, is also a weapon for the kingdom. Uh, man, just a, a great dear friend. It was actually Lacey who hired me uh, to my first pastoral role. Uh, and so Lacey was my boss uh, for several years. So shout out to my boss, Lacey Hartman. Um, but, uh, but these two, they, they planted a church in Manhattan, Kansas called Rock Hills Church. Uh, they got two beautiful daughters. Uh, they planted the church five years ago, already pushing 1,000 people in attendance. God's hand of favor is on them. And uh, I know Troy's got an incredible word for you. So without further ado, stand to your feet with me. Let's put our hands together. Give Troy Hartman a warm Central Christian Church welcome. Love you, brother. Love you, yeah. All right, all right. Thank you guys so much. I feel like I should be batting <laughs> for that. So uh, that's exciting. And uh, man, what an honor, as Tim just said, to be here. Lacey's also my boss. <laughs> so yes, and uh, she's my wife as well. And uh, we have two kids, as Tim was just saying there, Jovi and Jade. They're 11 and 8. And uh, they're here. You'll probably hear them before you see them. I'm just saying. Uh, they're a lot of fun and full of spunk and sass. And, um, and, and we, love, we love our family. Um, Love our kids, and, and let me just kind of uh, mutually say, um, in response to what Tim just said, man, they're, they're best of friends, and, and you can never put a price tag on godly friendships. And if you, if you have people around you that are godly friendships, you know that that's um, invaluable, and, and that is who they are to us. And, and so we go, we go way back, and, and uh, let me just say real quick that uh, right now in, in, uh, in Kansas, in, in the middle, I, and by the way, if you ever say things, you should be careful about what you said. I said out of my own lips, I will never live in Kansas. <laughs> but God is pretty unconventional in his humor <laughs> and, and his creativity, I would say. And, uh, and we live in the middle of Kansas. We live in Manhattan, the little apple. It's called the little apple. It's actually, I call it the microscopic apple, right? So uh, I think in the whole area, uh, there's not as many people on a block of the big apple. <laughs> so we live in the little apple, but it is the home of K-State University. Um, nobody knows what this would mean, but that means go wildcats. 
You're like, there's a school there? Yeah, it's called K-State, and uh, it's a great university, actually. And it's also the home of the third largest army base in the country called Fort Riley, Big Red One. And, uh, and so, man, we have a very transient community. In five and a half, we're almost, we're pushing six years in September. In that time span, we, we have, when people come, they fill out a connection card as a first-time guest. We've had over 7,000 people fill out a card in that span of time. Uh, it's a very transient community. That's exciting. We'd love for them to stay a little longer, so that'd be great. But, but uh, hopefully I don't scare them off too quick. But it is a transient land. And, and, uh, and the average stay for people there is about three years um, because that's either college or military. And we transition 35% of, of our church a year, 35% move in and move on to the next place. So, so Lacey and I, we, we had to either be depressed about people leaving or we could see it as a vision from God. So we, we say it's not about the seating capacity, it's about the sending capacity because the Lord strategically dropped us into a setting where we're planting seeds all the time and, and we want to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. We were shocked when we moved there that 65% of the population there are unclaimed, which means not attending any type of community of faith. And so God called us there specifically to connect those that were unconnected. And we went there not to just give people another a religious experience. It's not, I don't think that's the heart. Of, it's not the heart of God. And, and we didn't want people to just go from we're not attending church to attending church. But we wanted the people to encounter a life-giving Jesus and a loving Heavenly Father uh, that is life-changing. And, and uh, so that's where we are. And, uh, and so I'm excited today. What I'm going to do is, I know you all in a series called Jesus Is. And I'm going to talk about... The topic that has defined my life, I believe if you're a follower of Christ, this, this is a topic that's defined your life as well. Jesus is gracious. Jesus is gracious. And I'm going to talk about the story of grace from God in my life today, but I want to let you know a little bit uh, more on the history of, of Tim and I. As he said, I go back 20 years and, and uh, we, our stories are different, but they're similar in, in ways of experiencing God's grace, I'll say. Now, if you want the details of that, you have to ask Tim. <laughs> so he'll have to fill you in. Um, but uh, we, we went through this program called Master's Commission, and that was a discipleship school. And, and uh, so while we went through that, uh, our wives went to college together. And then we ended up serving in youth ministry together. And, and, then, and then we were on staff, as Tim said, together. So we've had a lot of different experiences, the highs and the lows together and they, they're amazing friends. We love your family. We love your children. And uh, they are a gift from God to us. The best way I can say it, they're a gift from God to us. And y'all, today what I want to do is just give honor where honor's due. I, I, believe, I believe they're a gift to this area. I believe they're a gift to this church. And that's not because of their ability. It's because of the story of God's grace and their heart for God and their heart for people. But would you just love on your pastors today? Would you show appreciation to Tim and Tiffany and the Perkins family? We love you guys. And hey, y'all, I'm not, I'm, not I'm not the best pastor in the world by no means, not even close for sure. Got a lot of room for improvement. When he said about it's not about perfection, but about progression, uh, that'd be my story for sure. But I will tell you as a pastor, it's been a, it's been a challenge to lead a church through a pandemic. <laughs> I, did, I'm just gonna, I, won't, I won't give you all the backstory to that, but I'll just tell you it's been a challenge. And I will say that I've had friends that are pastoring that have, have stepped out of ministry because of the times that have been tough. And, uh, and I just want you to know from my, my friends and their family just how they've navigated with grace and tenacity is, uh, is honorable. And they, are, and they are also blessed to be in a place that's loving them. So, so thank you for doing what you're doing. The body of Christ, you all, is not just some option. It is a priority for health and restoration and redemption. 
And the story we're going to talk about today in the story, the story of grace. And uh, so, so as I said, honor, honor to be here today. And uh, man, our, our wives, Tim, Tim and I, you, you've heard the statement of you, when you outkick your coverage, right? So, so we, we married up. And uh, it's obviously just a joke in the Midwest, apparently, but whatever, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> Let me just say, we, we, we married beyond our capacity. And it's not easy being married to angels. It's not. And uh, is it, Tim? So, you know, their wings hit you in the face and they're all shiny all the time. And, and, uh, but so we, we've had a lot of experiences. One, one of the cool experiences I think that we've had together is uh, our wives were pregnant at the same time with our oldest kid. And, uh, and we, went, we went through some uh, uh, labor birth classes. I don't even know what they're called, but... Tim and I, it really showed uh, how we have remained 13 <laughs> in our age and in, in, uh, in our giggles in that, in that class. And so we, we went to the hospital. Lacey was in labor, and we went to the hospital, and, and we weren't there very long. And I looked down the hallway, and I saw Tim coming down the hallway. And I'm like, I said, oh, my gosh, Tim, I know we're good buddies, but I can't believe you're here. That's incredible. I mean, Lacey just, just went into labor. We just showed up. I can't believe you. He said, no, 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 dude. I mean, I love you, but Tiffany's in labor too, man. We're, I'm here to have my baby, not to see yours. I was like, oh, okay. Y'all, we had our children on the same day, rooms like almost next to each other within 30 minutes. I got a little picture of it right there. So, so that's crazy. That's crazy. So that was a lot of fun. Yes, Tim and I, we did a good job. We, we, we got ice chips and we squeezed their toes. We really helped out. So it was great. And... Uh, so, man, our stories are, are weaved together for sure. And, and uh, what I want to do today is just talk about, man, the story of God's grace in my life. And, and everybody, if you're a follower of Christ today, then you know it's not your story. It's God's story for his glory. It's his story for his glory. There's a, a scripture in the Bible. It's, if I, I haven't wrote a book yet, but if I do, I'm going I'm to call it The Wonders of a Fool. And I'm, I'm going to get that from the Apostle Paul when he said... God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. In other words, God will use things that other people would say, ain't no way something good going to come out of that. And even the wise will say, look at what the Lord has done. And man, my story today is just that. It's look at what the Lord has done. You probably are familiar with this, but grace means undeserved kindness or unmerited favor. One of the acronyms that I love. We live in a military land, and they're all about acronyms, so I try to use acronyms. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I love that. God's grace is the riches of God to us, not because of what we did, but because of what he's done at Jesus's expense. Unmerited favor, unmerited grace, and I, and I just want to talk to you today about a story of grace, that Jesus, this is who he is, Jesus said of himself, if you want to know what God is like, watch me. He's the full expression of the character of God, and he is gracious to us all. So as I tell my story today, I, I, I want to encourage everybody in here, no matter who you are, where you're from, just to process this story through this statement, that there is no brokenness that God's grace cannot restore. Yes. Now, some of you, you'd be like, well, I'm not going to stand up, raise my hand and tell you, but I have some brokenness that could rival that statement. And y'all, in our church, where we come from, I know right now, I, don't, I may not know your story, but I know right now in our church, there are people there that would say, oh, there's some brokenness that I don't know if God can really restore. Y'all, where we're at in the setting, there are some marriages that though they're sleeping six inches apart, they're 6,000 miles away in their heart. 
As I speak right now, I know some marriages that may not make it. Been praying for them. Man, there's some brokenness when it comes to relationships with parents and kids and kids to parents that it would look like they are beyond repair. Don't know if there's hope there. Don't know if they're going to make it. There's some health situations right now of some family members that, man, it's tough and maybe it looks beyond repair, too complicated, too much gone wrong. Don't know your story, but maybe you relate. And if you're here today and you may say on your spiritual journey of faith, you may feel like too much gone wrong, love grown cold, too many things that are unknown, too much work, too much effort to follow in this relationship journey with Jesus. I mean, if that's you today, if that's you today, there's a lot I don't know. There may be a lot we don't have in common. But if that's you today, I just want you to know I relate. I relate. And I can tell you, when I was broke, at the end of my rope, it looked like there was no, no chance for repair. I now know that through the grace of God, there is no brokenness that God's grace cannot restore. In fact, it reminds me of a story. I grew up in southwest Missouri, so that should draw some sympathy. <laughs> so I don't Throwing a few Missouri jokes. I literally got here, and your youth pastor said, oh, you're from Missouri. Seriously. So, so like, good to meet you. And then I found out he's a Raiders fan. I was like, makes sense. Makes sense. So 150 years, the farm had been in my family. Y'all, I married out of state because I didn't want to marry a cousin. Those things happen in Missouri. It's complicated. So, so my wife is from Kansas. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there. Okay. And, uh, and so long time in the family. And I remember as a kid, one of the things that we would do, and, and, you know, having a farm that long, there's all kinds of different buildings and barns that are kind of run down. And, and we, we, I saw the kids, our kids were playing this uh, just yesterday. They're playing uh, don't step on the lava game, you know. It's a universal game. Anybody here ever played don't step on the lava? Good. And uh, so we would play that in the barns, and we would swing through these old buildings. I remember being in the rafters, and we'd swing out of the rafters, and, and there was an old car in one of the barns that I remember, I can visualize this day, we'd swing out of the rafters, and we'd land on the roof of that car, we'd jump on the hood, and we were denting it, and our footprints were all over it, and it was this old, looked like it wasn't worth anything, and then, you know, then we'd jump on the lawnmower or whatever was next, and we'd keep doing it. Well, we did that every time we went to my grandparents when we were kids, so my brothers and I, we'd be doing that, and one day, my dad opened up the barn door just as we jumped on the hood of that car. And I didn't know it, but apparently this car had value to my dad. Now, we're in church. I cannot tell you what he said, but let me just explain it this way. He was less than pleased because apparently this car had some value to him that we didn't know about. Well, that car was a car that my dad, when he was 17 in 1967, and my uncle Jack bought with their own money. They loved that car. It was a 1957 Chevy. They loved that car. They loved it so much that they drove it for a year before they wrecked it and blew up the motor. And then it sat in the barn for 30 years with this, like, family thematic story that someday that they would pull it out and restore it. In fact, I got a picture of that car, so I'll show you right there. So they were not a part of the Beatles, if you're wondering, but they look like it. But my dad's inside. That's my Uncle Jack. That's a 57 Chevy. So, so I remember the day when, when they, my dad said, we're going to actually pull it out and we're going to do something about it. And they pulled it out, and, we're, and the family's all standing around this car. And I remember the conversation. I was little. 
And the conversation went something like this, like, I don't know if we can restore it. It's, it's maybe too broken. It's maybe too messed up. There's maybe too many dents. There's, it may be too expensive. It may be too hard. I don't know if this car can be restored. Well, with a lot of intentionality and a lot of work and some serious cost, <laughs> they restored that car. I've got a picture of what it looks like now to this day. It's right, right there. Oh, let's pray. No, there's more to the message. No, it's, it's a beautiful car. It costs a lot. And, uh, and, and, and uh, I, I can't drive it. <laughs> I, I asked Dad, can I drive it? No. No. Can't. Um, today I'm going I'm to talk about restoration. Can things be made new? And some of those scenarios and some of those situations that I talked about earlier, you would say, man, that's great for other people. I don't know if that's reality for my life or my story. Um, but I just want you to know as we talk about my story and more importantly, God's story for his glory, that there is no brokenness, that the grace of God cannot restore. So I'll jump in. I'm going to date myself here, but it's been a while back. New Year's Eve of 1999, I went to a party with some college friends that I had literally 10 days before graduated with a criminal justice degree. So I just graduated college. I'm going to a New Year's Eve party, and just a few days down the road, I'm supposed to start a brand new career as a highway patrolman. I wanted to be United States Marshal. That's where I, that's where I wanted to go. And so I went to this party, and and um, and. What's interesting is my life is, is full of irony. So, I, so here I am, a criminal justice major, just graduated by the grace of God, by the way. And um, I'm, I'm getting this career in law enforcement, but I was an alcoholic. So those two things don't, don't go well together. And, um, and so, you know, for me, and my, this is my story, kind of started when I was in high school. My family kind of had a routine of this, this is what we did. We kind of partied and we drank, you know. It was one of the gifts of the Hartman family. And, and it, was, it started out as binge drinking, but somewhere in there by the time I was a junior, I had a life-controlling issue. And, and I should have known when I had friends who were as crazy as me, binge drinking along with me, started to say, Troy, you need to calm down, man. you got some problems. That, that should have been a cause for pause. You know, I'm like, wait, 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 you're screwed up too. And you're telling me I'm screwed up like that. Should have had a light bulb come on, but it, but it didn't. As I said, my life was full of irony. It's kind of, kind of in this season of my life, I, I thought, I, I got this. And I was flippant and careless. And, and honestly, the best word I can define where I was is selfish. It's just about me. And so I'm at this party, and, and uh, we, we did what we did many times at parties. I, uh, I was with some college buddies that we played basketball together. That's, that's nothing real cool. It's kind of like glorified high school, really small college. But, but I was spending some time with, with my friends there on, on New Year's Eve, and, and we did what we did many times. But sadly, I did what I'd done many times, and I chose to drink and drive that night. So I got into my friend Matt. His name's Matt Jones. I got into his Explorer, and I drove. And, you know, I'd done this a bunch. I thought I got this, and I'm about to go on to a, a – I'm going to turn over a new leaf, man, go to a new career. And I got in his Ford Explorer that night, and somewhere on the way to visit another friend, I ran off a ravine, lost control about 30 feet. And, and, and it, it, it's a sad story. Sad story. Uh, knocked me out and, and woke up. And here we are. It's about 3 a.m. on the first day of a new year. And my friend was thrown out of the sunroof. And I crawled out of the wreckage. And, and literally that night, my friend Matt died in my arms. 
I woke up on the first day of a new year in a jail cell. So when I talk about brokenness and your life being beyond repair, that's not just a statement. I really believed it. I felt like I was, I was done. I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd, I had crashed my life, but I had devastated a family. Matt's sister, Jessie, I'd gone to school with her for four years and knew her very well. She had just gotten married. She was supposed to go on her honeymoon that morning, but instead they got a phone call that her brother died. They never went on their honeymoon. His parents, Charles and Mary, they were having problems. I'd never met them. They were already having problems, but they got a divorce right after that. And then my friend Matt had two little brothers, Jeremiah and Brian. They were just teenagers at the time. They found out that their brother had passed away. So my, my family bonded me out of jail. I'll never forget going home to my mom's. And my mom walked into the bedroom, and she was crying. And she said, Troy, it's Matt's mother. Her name's Mary. She's on the phone. And then she handed me the phone. And y'all, 20 years I've told this story thousands of times. I cannot explain what that was like. She gave me the phone, and I said, hi, Mary, this is Troy. And these were the words she said to me, first time she'd ever talked to me. Troy, I love you, and I forgive you. And then we just wept on the phone for quite a while. And then she said, Troy, I want you to, to come to the funeral. They lived in St. Louis and invited me to the funeral. And everybody, I went to that funeral with a bunch of friends from college, and I walked in, there's a couple hundred people there. And I realized as I walked in the front door, we're all here because of me and my issues and my selfishness. And then the first time I physically met Matt's mom, Mary, she walked up to me, and she began to introduce me to her sisters and her family. She literally treated me as her own son at her own son's funeral. <laughs> it blew my mind. I... I I didn't know how to respond. If she would have hated me and yelled at me, I would have understood how to respond better than that. That's what I expected. But she loved me, and she said again, Troy, I love you, and I forgive you. She sat by me through the funeral. We went to a dinner at my friend's high school, uh, my friend Matt's high school, where he'd gone to high school. And, and before I left that dinner, uh, I'll, I'll never forget a little, little pretty breezeway door in his high school. We stopped there, and Mary said again, Troy, I love you, and I forgive you. And then she said these words, if you give your life to God, he will use it for good. And so, you know, I was like, yes, ma'am. I mean, whatever you tell me to do, now my purpose in life is to do whatever you tell me to do. And so I went back to Southwest Missouri, and that's when I started to re-engage in church. At that time in my life, God was just abstract. I believe he existed, but I just thought he was out there. What interest would he have to be personally involved in my life? And, and to be honest, I had stiff-armed him because I wanted to do my own thing anyway. I grew up in a setting where we said stuff at church, but it didn't translate to home in my parents' marriage. And they got divorced when I got out of high school. So like many teenagers, sadly, when I left high school, I left the church. So when I went back in that setting, I'll never forget, I felt like such a fish out of water. And I went to a place that my friend had invited me because Mary had told me, and y'all, it was on January the 30th of 2000. And I'm not real good at memorizing dates. I now blame it on COVID, <laughs> that I have COVID fog. And, um, but I've never been that great at memorizing dates. But this one I remember because it was the night of the 34th Super Bowl. And y'all, I had never missed a Super Bowl game to go to a church service. So I'm, I'm just telling you. And so I went that night, though, and, and, and I'll be transparent with you. It looked like everybody knew what they were doing.
you know, because I was thinking about my life is a mess, and I don't know if this is going to be helpful or really relevant to my situation. And then he read a passage of Scripture. (laughs) My antennas went up. This is the first time in my life that the word became real. And here's what he said, Psalms 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. You know, dude, if you have my story in that setting, you're like, really? And I began to have this internal conversation with God. Are you really real? Is this really real? Is this really true? God, do you know what I've done? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've caused because of my own issues and my own selfishness? As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. As a pastor, from time to time, I'll have people come up and they will tell me, Pastor, you were talking to me today. You must know my story. And I'm like, I don't have a clue what your story is, but I bet the Holy Spirit was talking to you. And y'all, the reason I can say that is because I experienced it. This wasn't a pastor. This was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. So in that moment... I surrendered my life to Christ. I'd like to tell you that I have a beautiful bow on my life now, that my life is all puppies and ponies and happy clapping. (laughs) Do you guys know that even to the cutest puppy, there's a back end? You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) I still experience the residue of my decisions. And y'all, I had great intentions, by the way. I had great intentions of being a, a good student, a good athlete, a good son, a good citizen. If it was a party, a good time. <laughs> There's a lot of things. I had great intentions, but did you know that it is your decisions that lead you to a destination? And y'all, I ended up in a destination I never thought I'd end up at. But when I left that place and I surrendered my life to Jesus, I have never been the same. Still weird. Still make. <laughs> Here my wife was the first person to laugh there. I still make my fair share of mistakes. mistakes. I'm, I'm still a sinner, but I'm not who I once was. I'm not who God wants me to be yet. That's why I'm on a journey, but I'm sure not who I once was. And when I walked out of that place on, that, on January the 30th, I've never been the same. And the last thing on my mind was I'd be in full-time ministry, let alone a pastor and starting a church in a place that I said I'd never live. But it's about his story for his glory, not just your story. So I pled guilty, and I got a part of this church that was incredible, the one that I met your pastor at. And we did this program together, and the director of that program, uh, I told him, hey, if I don't go to prison, I'll gladly do your program. Because I pled guilty, and I stood in front of a judge. And on the day I stood in front of a judge, I was facing seven years, and we, we met my friend 
Matt's mom, Mary, and all of her family were there in the courthouse lobby praying together that God's will would be done. And before we went to my sentencing date, we were praying out there and there were people there for traffic tickets and all kinds of other stuff. And it began to spread the story of what was going on. And I saw people, I didn't even know, weeping, (laughs) asking us to pray for them because they'd never seen anything like this woman. And Mary is amazing, but all the power is in forgiveness. There's nothing more powerful than love beyond reason and forgiveness. I went and stood in front of this judge and he said, Troy, I quote, I've been a judge for 30 years. I've never seen anything like this woman pointed to Mary. He said, Troy, you're guilty, but today you receive mercy. Literally what he said. Got five years probation. I started this program where I met your pastor, Tam. We served together. I don't think either one of us ever knew we'd be doing what we're doing. But for his glory, it's his story. Man, I wish I had time to tell you about all the things God has done with a broke joke, with a mess, to communicate the grace of God. Like I said, I don't know your story. Some of you... Maybe you can relate to mine. You grew up in church, and, and uh, maybe some of you right now, you're just, you, when, you hear the, when you hear grace, it's truly amazing. When you hear grace, it's truly amazing to you, and something happens in your heart, and you love God, and you're, you don't take grace for granted, and you're grateful for grace. You know, I've never met a person that was sincerely grateful for, to, for grace that it didn't somehow translate in their life. If someone's grateful for grace, they just reflect it, regardless of their personality or preference. Some of you, maybe you've grown cold in your love for God, or maybe you just had life happen to you. Maybe you've been jumped on, (laughs) dented. Other people didn't know your value, left you broken. Maybe you're here and you wonder, I don't know if God's grace can really restore my situation. I mean, good for you, dude. But I just want you to know, no matter who you are or where you come from, this ain't just my story. I want to read you another passage of Scripture that when I read it, I call these my personal anchors of Scripture. If you don't have passages in your life that are personal anchors to you, or they've come to life and they're not just archaic literature, I want to encourage you to seek God in prayer that he would give you those. So I remember reading this one day, the Apostle Paul, which, by the way, had a horrible past. And sometimes the thing that keeps us from moving forward in our future is we can't get past the past. This guy, y'all, had a past of killing Christians and hating Jesus. And he says this, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I love that the Apostle Paul says, even though I once was. The Apostle Paul would say, I'm not where God wants me to be yet. It's not that I've arrived, but I'm sure not where I once was. That's just encouraging. Now, I once was a persecutor, a blasphemer, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Then here's this beautiful word. But the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, you can hang the weight of your life on the statement that Paul is getting ready to make. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners who of who I am the worst. That's what the Apostle Paul says. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. Mercy is we do not get what we deserve. Grace is we get what we don't deserve. 
And God lavishes both out on us, no matter who we are, where we've been, or what we've done. When I surrendered my life to Christ, the Holy Spirit began to burn something deep in me that I'm still learning, by the way, 20 years later, that what I have done or what I have not done does not define who I am. And there is still, to this day, a wrong theology called the works theology that says, hey, God and his relationship with you is based on your merit. You all, merit has never been immeasurable for grace. In other words, you can't earn it. That's why it's called grace. And Paul said, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. In other words, Paul is saying, man, I'm a trophy of not on my accomplishments or pedigree, but I'm a trophy of God because look at what the Lord has done. And he was on display. And I'm going to wrap up today. And what I'm going to do my best to do with Jesus as my Lord and Savior is, is, is hopefully bring more than a sermon. I mean, y'all didn't need somebody from Kansas to come out here to bring you another sermon. I mean, if you're looking for good sermons, go online, man. There's millions of them, like some great preachers out there. But what I'm going to do my best to do today is go from a story and some scripture and then give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to speak to you. I believe why church is worthwhile is because when you come together, that there is a living God that will speak his living word into your soul. And he will feed you. And today I believe with all my heart that he wants to speak some words to you that, that you might think that though your story of brokenness is major, that there is no brokenness that God's grace cannot restore. So, so let me share this with you. I had a loving, forgiving mom that brought healing and restoration to my life. But y'all, it wasn't just a loving mom. It was a loving God. It was the Holy Spirit. And so for you today, my prayer is that maybe the Holy Spirit would speak some of these words to your soul. Because this isn't just my story. This is the story of God and humanity. When God looks at humanity, you know what he says? I love you. I forgive you. I've already done what needed to be done to remove your sin and separation from God and give you forgiveness. It's up to you to receive it. There is a difference of knowing in your head God's grace and experiencing it. And God would say to everybody, I love you and I forgive you. I think he looks at all of us and maybe he's speaking this to you today. If you give me your life, I will use it for good. You know what? God can do more in a moment or a minute than you can do in an entire lifetime. I think the Holy Spirit would say to you, Give me your life. I can do more with it than you can. It's my story for my glory. Won't you put the pen of that story in my hand and see what I can do so that you might be somebody that I would use on display as an example to say, look at what the Lord has done. And you might even confound some wise people who have reasoned a lot but still can't quite put their thumb on the, the answer of purpose and value. Maybe the Lord would speak to you today, though you're guilty, today you receive mercy. I love how simple yet profound the gospel is. What I mean by that is you simply admit and turn to God and repent. And God would say, I know you're guilty. It's not a shock. I'm not surprised, Troy, by your sin. God wasn't like, oh, he's done what? 
Spoiler alert, God already knew. And listen to this, it wasn't my good behavior or bad behavior that brought me closer or drove me farther away from God. I was already condemned by my own sin that separated me from God. But God said, I know who you are. At least, Troy, I know who you think you are. But I'm going to tell you who you really are. And he did not give me what I deserve. That's his mercy. But he gave me everything I didn't deserve. Or maybe today the Holy Spirit would say, I will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. Which, you know what that means? They're never going to cross again. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Maybe you need to hear this, that Jesus came not to condemn, but to restore. It's been said that how you view God is the most important thing about you. The reason is your theology, your your study of God and the works of God, that's theology, dictates your biography. In other words, what you think about God will play out in your life. And some of us sometimes think that God came to to jump on that car (laughs) and to beat it down and to destroy us. But God didn't come to condemn. He came to restore. He came to redeem. Maybe the Holy Spirit would say to you today that, you know what, God can take your mess and give you a message. One of, one of the, I have a lot of bright spots in my life where God's grace uh, shone really bright. And, and, and Tim and I, we don't have to look any farther than our family to see the evidence of God's grace in our life. And another moment when, when uh, I was asked to officiate a wedding, I've officiated a lot of weddings, but I got asked to officiate this one. I got, I got a picture of it and I want to pull up. And it, yes, it was in Missouri, so he's not wearing any shoes. <laughs> if you're <laughs> wondering, like... These are, these are answering all my questions about Missouri. He actually did a foot washing, just saying, uh, in his wedding. But y'all, that, that's my friend Matt's youngest brother, Jeremiah. Asked me to do his wedding. And I, I remember praying real hard about, God, what can I say to communicate your grace on display? And God said, I got it. Just stand up there. <laughs> Troy, you just stand up there and go through your notes, and they say, yes, I, I believe God said, I got this, because it's just his grace on display in and of itself, because it's his story for his glory, not mine. Here's something I think maybe the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you today. Regrets are inevitable, but grace is available. You know what, living in a broken world, you can bank on it that regrets are inevitable for all of us, no matter how hard we try. But what is beautiful about the heart of God is that grace is always available. Grace is always right there for you to reach out and to receive. And I'm going to close with this thought. I remember when I was in that place and my friend died in my arms and I was arrested. And in fact, the highway patrolman that arrested me taught some of my classes I knew him. My life's full of irony. And I remember going to the courthouse, and he, when he read me the charges, they were on a sheet of paper. And, of course, there was a DUI, and then there was, when Matt passed away, uh, involuntary manslaughter. And then one of the charges was careless and reckless driving. And, y'all, I know this sounds weird, but I really felt like, I felt like there was a spiritual battle going on at that point when I read that, that the enemy was like, that's who you are. You're careless and reckless. You're careless and reckless. You're flippant. You can't change from that. You're beyond repair. You've messed up your family. You've devastated a family. You you, you can't recover from this. But I learned that it is not my activity that defines my identity. 
In fact, it's the activity of Jesus that was perfect, not Troy, that then gave me my identity because of its grace. And so a statement that I hope the Holy Spirit speaks to you is this, that it is God's reckless grace that is your greatest hope. Because God was reckless, almost scandalous in his grace that he gave to all of us. But it is our greatest hope. And I'm here to ta- today to tell you that my identity is not careless and reckless anymore because of the grace of God. In fact, God is so unconventional that I'm somewhat responsible for people's spiritual journey of responsibility. And that's very sobering. But I know this with all my heart that my greatest hope was his reckless grace. And that's not one and done of something in the past. That's something that should be present right now. Last thing is this. Grace has the power to forgive us. I just want to stop for a second. The forgiveness of one woman has literally restored thousands of lives. I don't think Mary ever understood when she offered forgiveness to one person that God would use it for thousands but God always is up to something greater than what we can see. So his grace has the power to forgive us, but it also has the power to free us, and it also has the power to restore us. Because everybody, there is no brokenness that God's grace cannot restore. It's an honor to be here today, and I'm gonna pray right now that the Holy Spirit would do something in your heart that would last, that you would be marked There's good moments to be marked in life where God marks you in such a way that you're never the same. And for some of you today, that's to receive his great grace, to let it go from here to here. That can be a supernatural distance (laughs) that the Holy Spirit can help from go from here to here. But then some of you today, and all of us, honestly, as a follower of Christ, our step, our best next right step is to not only receive it, but to reflect it, to be an example of God's grace in your boardrooms, in your living rooms, even on Zoom calls. Is that possible? Yes, it is. But you can have an opportunity not just to receive it, but to reflect it. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. I thank you for every person that's here, and I thank you for their story. Their story is incredibly important to you. They're of great value. You don't want anyone here to be dented or jumped on or devalued. In fact, God, it's your heart so much so that you sent your son to give his life, that we could be who you created us to be, that you can restore any brokenness back to your original purpose and plan. So Father, I I just ask, would you do your work? It's not what I say or how I pray, but I believe, Holy Spirit, it's when you speak your words into our hearts. I believe the greatest power of change is through The Holy Spirit, your whisper. Would you whisper into some hearts that are hurting? I love you. I forgive you. Give me your life. I'll use it for good. Though you're guilty, today you receive mercy. There is no brokenness that my grace cannot restore. No one is too good that you don't need it, and no one is too bad that you can't receive it. So today's an opportunity to receive his great grace and for all of us to reflect it to a world that needs it. Lord, help us to receive it. Help us to reflect it. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, 
And I want to give the opportunity to anybody that's here today to say, you know, Troy, my next step is to receive the great grace of God. I need that in my life. And hey, if that's you, I just want to invite you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, for giving your all for me. Thank you that you paid the price. That you are both my Savior and my Lord, both the lion and the lamb. You gave it all for me. And Jesus, in response to your great grace, I make you the Lord of my life. If that's you and you're praying that, just tell Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I receive your great grace. God, use my life for your story and your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.